All right. Good morning, Vertical Church. Hey, I'm Pastor Josh. I'm the pastor here. On behalf of my wife, Jessica, and the rest of our team, we just want to say we're so glad that you joined us today. Specifically, if you're here for the first time, I want to let you know we're so grateful you took time to be here. We know you could be a lot of places, but you chose to be here, and we're honored that you did that. So much so that down the hallway past the coffee bar, we have an information table, and at that table is some of our lead team. They're back there to just meet you and answer any questions you have. They have a free gift they'd like to give you. You have my word that we're not going to try to sign you up for anything or enroll you in any, for anything. It's just our way of saying, hey, and answer any questions you may have. We, we would love that opportunity. Um, we're in for a great day. We're wrapping up our Seek series today. And I know many of you maybe already broke the fast or you plan to break your fast uh, at some point today. I just want to say well done to you. Uh, I love what Pastor John Tyson says. He says that God goes where he's wanted. You could say this like God moves where he's welcomed. And so think about this. At the beginning of the year, you told God, I want you in my life. For 21 days, you said, hey, I'm making room for you to be Lord of all, and he's going to show up and bless in incredible ways. Amen. And um, we get to kind of put a celebration on that tonight in our night of worship. We got a night of worship back here at six o'clock. Uh, I know there's something happening at 630 tonight, but it doesn't go before the Lord. I mean, I'm talking about you said at the beginning of the year you were going to put him first. We're going to see how that really happens. All right. But tonight, six o'clock, we're going to come together. We're going to worship for about an hour or so. That gives you time to get back and see that the Lions are already running up the score. It doesn't even matter what, okay? But we'd love to see you back here at the night of worship. Before I take up any more time, I uh, want to get to an amazing opportunity we have right now, and that is get to hear uh, from Pastor Robbie. For those of you that don't know, uh, Pastor Robbie does all sorts of things for the University of Michigan, but one of his amazing roles is he's the chaplain to the team, assistant to Coach Jim Harbaugh, and um, I get to introduce him as... A national champion. Come on, let's give it up for him. Let's welcome Pastor Robbie up here, national champion. Yeah, man. Awesome. Come on. I, uh, I've been telling people, you got to just call me champ everywhere I go. Yeah. <laughs> I walk into my house, my family's like, hey, champ, welcome home. Like, you know it. <laughs> No, I give honor to Pastor Josh and Jess. Thank you for having me here. It is an honor uh, to really be uh, in the house of the Lord. Um, I, I love three homes, three houses, I should say. I love three houses. I love the house I live in, right? The house that I get to go to every day. I, I love this house, right? I love this house where life change happens. And I love a pretty big house in Ann Arbor too. Um, I love that house. And, um, and God over the past several years has been able to do some great things through loving loving the house, right? I mean, think about it. You got you to love the house. You got to love where you are. And, and I, I get to go to a place in Ann Arbor and someone was asking the other day, he's like, do you have any clothes that is not black or blue? I said, absolutely not. I have no green, have no green clothes, no red clothes, none of that. What was odd is I, asked, I got to ask, my daughter asked me to come speak at her sports literature class at her high school. And with the NCAA, I have to get like a permission to be able to go. And then they gave me permission. I went to go speak. And it was on uh, like the week before Christmas and it was like a spirit week. So everywhere I went in this school, I'm wearing maize and blue, top to bottom, all Michigan. And everyone is wearing green and red. <laughs> Christmas colors. And so uh, they're all getting ready for the holiday. I was wearing wearing a blue, but I love the house in which I get to be a part of. And I love this house. I love the, I love the church. And I hope you do too. Because some of the greatest things in my life have happened in this house. They've happened in my home where I live, where my children are being raised. It happens in this house where I was married in the church. I, was, I grew up in the church. This house has life-changing experience to happen. It's okay to love the house. And I love the big house. I love getting to go there every day and be a part of what God's doing there. Yes, God is doing something there. Because everywhere you go as a person, with the spirit of God in you, God should do something where you are. It's not because God doesn't want to. It's because we limit him. He wants to. He wants to lead your home. He wants to lead your office. He wants to lead the campus in Ann Arbor. Because when I speak to the team and I've been doing it for uh, going on nine seasons this coming year and speaking to the team, when, when after a, a chapel service, the head football coach comes up to you and says, I believe that this place, talking about the building that we were in, is the most spiritual place on campus, if not in all of Ann Arbor. 
Why is that? Because I fell in love with the house. I fell in love with the people that were in there. And because that happened, the spirit and presence of God permeates through that building. The spirit and presence of God, I want it to permeate through your homes and through your offices. It happens because of you. You are that conduit. You are that. And so that's why God has been able to do so many great things at the University of Michigan and what we've been doing, seeing God do at that place. I love Pastor Josh and he and I have been, we've built a relationship over the years. I moved here in 2016 from Houston. We met at a, at a luncheon and we just got connected. And I said, hey man, like, you know, he said, how's the church going? I said, church is going good, but I got like some Bible studies. I'm doing it in Ann Arbor with some football players. He's like, oh, that's really cool. And then I couldn't get rid of him the rest of this. <laughs> And he was just like, would never leave me alone. And uh, um, you guys know that because it's true. And um, no, but like Pastor Josh was like, he was so kind of, he's been so kind over the years, him and Jess and their entire family, just what they've been doing. And, and I'm telling you, he's got like, he's got a seminary degree in preaching theology, but he's got a doctorate when it comes to Michigan football. <laughs> I'll be at work. I'll get a text from Josh. Hey, did you hear this? I said, I haven't heard that. And I'm literally sitting next to the guy. He's like, yeah, man, it's going down. Everything's happening this week and all this stuff. And I'm like, and but it's awesome. But to spend time with them and to spend time with Jess, um, as, as much as they love what happens in our, our in Ann Arbor and it's, oh, it's good to see my friend, Pastor Garrett Krupp. Good to see you, my man. And um, what happens in, in there, it's just what God has done so much. What God is doing is so fantastic. And, um, to see him talk about what God is doing in the, in the church here. Like we just talked about you guys. It wasn't JJ McCarthy throwing a pass. It wasn't Blake Corum stumbling into the end zone to help us win a game. It was about you. It was about the 21 days you've guys been engaged in what's going on in this house. It's about your heart for what God's doing in this city, in this area. And that the best, the best is still yet to come. That's the pastor that you have. That's the pastors that you have. The family that's leading you. They're not just leading you, they're loving you. And so please know that. He may be a fan of the University of Michigan football program, but this, this is his family. I know that. And if you have a pastor like that, I'd get close. I'd lock in and say, let's go after it. Let's go after it. Let's go after Moby Dick in a rowboat with tartar sauce. Let's go. <laughs> That's the kind of enthusiasm I have. Like, let's go do it. Like, I love you guys are all wearing your shirts. 10 years, 10 years of amazing church, 10 years of sewing, 10 years of sacrifice, 10 years of energy and effort poured into what God is doing here. How amazing is that? 10 years. And I love how you, the shirts are all, that have X's on them, which we know is the Roman numeral for 10 when I looked at it, I was like, ah, X. And I, just give me a second. I was like, oh, yeah, it's the 10 years. And I, I'm from Generation X. That's where I grew up. I'm Generation X. You're like, man, that guy is, I'm 46 years old. You're like, but that boy looked good for 46. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like wine. Some of you are like milk. Wine gets better in time. Milk just gets chunky and sour. But anyways. <laughs> but... 10 years and I grew up in generation X and that was kind of like where I grew up. But also understand that what X means too, you can be, you can be on the, in the middle of the seven seas, right? You're on a boat and you're going after something. That something is a treasure. That treasure has to be found. You traverse through the sea and you're looking at the map and at the map says it's on this island and you go to this island, but there's another spot. That spot's marked with an X. The X, right? The X is where the treasure is. The X is where you find the value, the things you've been looking for for so many years, where you've been looking for for so long, long time. It's the X. Now I will tell this church prophetically that I believe this year, this is the year that you find the treasure you've been searching for. This is the year that a husband and father and mother and, and wife and spouse and families and individuals find what you've been searching for. I believe that for you, that what's next is even better than what has been in your life and but you have to stay with the journey, right? You have to keep following the map. Yeah. Eventually you're gonna find that treasure, that X marks the spot. And I believe it's our church here. I believe it's in this place where you can discover everything that you've been looking for. Everything that you need is found in the closeness and connection that you have with God.
I love a few years ago, Michigan had been in a drought, right? You ever been in a drought? You ever experienced a drought? Michigan had been in a, like a drought beating, you know, the team down south. And um, we'd been in this drought. I, I remember, you know, 13 years old, growing up in Michigan, we had a drought. I remember, so you got to go back, do the math, 32, 33 years ago. 13 years old, Michigan's at a drought. And I'm with my friends. We go to the local party store, right? Party store. You know I grew up in Michigan because I call them party stores. <laughs> go to the local party store. We take some pop bottles back, right? We take all our pop bottles back, cans we found on the side of the road. We take them back and we get money back for them, right? And they used to sell firecrackers when I was 13 years old at the party store. So we take the firecrackers to the party store. We know we shouldn't have them. We're 13 years old. But me and my boys, we go out into the woods, local to where we live. We go back in the woods. We're going to light these firecrackers off. And so we go back in the woods, ride our bikes back there, back in the woods, and we're going to take the firecrackers. And I was like the leader of the group, right? I say, here's that guy's got a great idea. Why don't you, I'm going to hold the firecracker, and, why, and I'm going to hold it in my hand, and you go ahead and light it. I'm the smart one. So I take the firecracker, and it's lit, and I go to throw the firecracker. And it's like a slow motion movie. It's like the matrix happening all over. And that firecracker begins to turn end over end. And I look at where it's about to land. And in the middle of the woods, there was a pile of dead, dry leaves. Now, let me just pause here for a minute. Who goes into the woods and rake leaves? What are they doing? Why would you create a pile? There's no way leaves fell in that pile like a tree would do that. But there was a pile of leaves. And that's where the firecracker landed. And it went off. The leaves caught on fire. The grass around it caught on fire. We're trying to stomp it out, kick it out. Just a bunch of boys in the woods, like trying to doing anything and everything to put out the fire. And you're like, why didn't they try that? We did try that. The thing you're thinking of, we tried that. We didn't have enough of that. <laughs> my friends say, hey, throw my bike on the fire. I'm like, all right, threw his bike on the fire. The handlebars melted, the tire melted, everything melted. I still had my bike. I got out of there called the fire department. The fire department could not put it out. Burned down the woods. The reason why they couldn't put it out is because they couldn't get water back to it. They simply had to contain it and let it just burn itself out. Don't tell that story in Auburn Hills, Michigan. I might get in trouble. I think the statute of limitations are up. But what I learned from that experience is just one, one firecracker, one little spark in the middle of a dry season was able to catch something on fire. I'm telling you, all it takes is one spark at your school, one spark at your office, one spark in your neighborhood. When Coach Harbaugh announced to the team, he said, hey, not Robbie has been serving as our chaplain for six, seven seasons now. He just announced the team's just in there. I'm in the back. I don't even know what he's doing. He's just going to talk to the team. He says, I'm, I've asked him to be, be my assistant. And he says, I want to have just another smiling face in this room. He hired me because I smile? <laughs> he hired me because there's a spark. He hired me because there's a spark. Spark inside of Robbie. Something that he knows. And, and the only thing he could describe is the smile. But I know it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I know it's the power of God in me. I know it's what God has placed inside of me. The same thing that's in you. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, man, let's, if you're Christ-filled, if you got Jesus on the inside, you should be happy. You should be positive. I get bad things happen. I understand that. That's going to happen. You might get in a bad mood, but why live this life miserable? I tell people all the time in our church, I'm like, don't come to me. Like, I, I, I'm not having coffee with you if you're just a negative. If you're a Debbie Downer, we ain't doing that. I ain't got enough time in this earth for you to be coming to me, drinking your haterade and eating your hater tots. And you've heard the head football coach say that, and you know where he got it. But we've had all these experiences that happened to be able to walk alongside our players and, and to be able to give them the words to say when they're meeting some people for the first time or standing in front of a press conference, influencing tens and thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people. We went through that drought and hadn't beat Ohio State and that game in 2021 was amazing. as Aiden Hutchison just wreaked havoc on Ohio State. C.J. Stroud, who's now in the NFL doing great things, struggled that day. And with great anticipation, we watched this game begin to play out, and 
all of a sudden something's about to happen. We could all feel it. There's about 110,000 people, including Pastor Josh, about to rush the field. It was a scary moment because you can't see anything. Like my family's up in the stands. They all get rushed down. I'm on, I'm in the middle of the field, usually close to Coach Harbaugh. He tells me, he says, the reason why I'm close is he gave me a project prior to that. The night before he had told me at chapel and the sidelines he had told me, he said, hey, Robbie, we got to get to the goalpost because you and I are going to tear them down. I said, just us? I said, I might end up in prison, coach. He says, don't worry, I'll bail you out. I said, that's going to be a really good story. So all those people rushed the field. Why? Because they were no longer wanted to be spectators. They had anticipated so, so much for so many years. They'd watched this game. They'd watched something unfold and they wanted to rush the field to be participants, to be a part of something. I, I want my children to want to be home and be around their parents, to be around us, to experience it. I want them to have the presence of God, not just in this place, but in that house as well. And I would hope that even in this house, that there would be something urging you, pulling you, causing you to not, I don't want to be a spectator. I want to participate. I don't just want to listen to worship. I want to be a part of worship. I just don't want to watch the volunteers serve. I want to serve alongside of them. I just don't want to cheer on Pastor Josh, but I want to come alongside him and hold his arms up like Aaron and her. See, that's what it is. I hope the same passion and desire that would cause someone to rush the field at a big house over a football game would be in us to see God move in our churches. You've been fasting and praying for 21 days. The Bible says that Joshua prayed, one man prayed. And he was in a battle and he asked for the sun to stand still. We know that he, God answered the prayer, but the, actually the earth stood still. Two men prayed in the New Testament. Paul and Silas, remember they're in prison, they begin to pray. The Bible says that the earth shook. One man prayed and stopped the earth. Two men prayed and shook the earth. I wonder what happens when we don't forsake the coming together of ourselves to this place and we come together as a church and a couple hundred of us begin to pray. We can literally change the world. We can change it. How have you been able to change what happens at Michigan? A lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. What do you mean a lot of prayer? There's a lot of things that are happening. If you'll go back to 2016, you'll see people praying in the end zone prior to the game. There's about four of us. Don't forsake the small beginnings because if you look at the end zone prayer this year, it's all of us. Yeah. And we're one of the only teams in college football who does that that way. It's optional. Don't ask the guys. I've never once asked a man to come to chapel. I've never asked a man to be baptized. I've never asked a man to pray. Never. All I did was let a light shine. And I did not shine it in their faces. Because when you shine light in someone's face, what do they do? I just shined it on their path. You see, I think a lot of times as us as Christians, we want to shine the light, but we're shining in the wrong direction and we're shining on the wrong thing. Shine the light on the path. Let them follow it to him. I never want to shine in their face because they'll turn away. And God has done so many great things in those eight seasons coming on nine. Over those eight seasons, I've been able to, this is, that's one, this is one of my favorite things to do. I get to marry some of these players. Like, They'll go off, they'll graduate college, they'll go in the NFL, and I get, they get, hey, Pastor Robbie, will you, will you marry Arias? I said, yep, I'll tie a good knot. I got that. <laughs> Do it. So, so eight, eight players and, and, and coaches have been married. I married someone uh, after practice in the big house right in the middle of the field, one of our coaches. Um, over eight seasons, 215 players and coaches have given their life to Christ. Come on, somebody. 215 <laughs> You keep track? Absolutely, I keep track. You, you count? Yeah, there's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. <laughs> and this year, the Rose Bowl, uh, that night at chapel, we, we baptized our 70th player 
in eight seasons as a program. 70 guys went public with their faith. I think that's pretty amazing. I think it's pretty amazing. I'm thankful for what God's doing, and, and I hope he continues to allow me to be a part of this because I believe in, in these miracles and what God's doing. And uh, uh, they've allowed me to be a part of a bunch of different things. Um, of course, the chaplain has served as that, served as the head football coach's assistant. I'm also a part of recruiting, part of recruiting. Um, we do a family tailgate prayer. Uh, Pastor Josh has been a part of that. Where, so it's not just players. So we have a family tailgate prayer and it was prayer. Now they ask me, now I pretty much just preach for about five minutes screaming my head off because it's so many people. There's probably about a thousand people gathered tailgate. They put their beer and their <laughs> whiskey down and join hands in prayer. It's a lot of fun. It's awesome. What God is doing. Yeah. And then we go to, go to recruiting. And I just talk to those parents. And I just mentioned to them what what. I don't even really say anything about God, but uh, they know. They know. Because if you allow what's inside of you to come out of you, you don't even have, you don't have to mention the Bible. You don't have to mention God. You don't have to mention Jesus, but they hear it. And they're going to be like, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I'm telling you, you can pastor where you are. Bring Jesus close to your work. Yeah. Bring Jesus close to your school. Bring Jesus close to your community. Let me, let me preach a few minutes here, and I'll let you go. Get home. Get some lunch. Skip the Lions game. <laughs> They'll lose if you, come, you don't come to prayer. I'm just telling you. <laughs> It'll be your fault. <laughs> I'm, I wouldn't take that chance. There's people that have been waiting 60 years for this. Don't do that to them. Be here for prayer. I'm going to be watching it, but you be here for prayer. Can I give you some help, some advice? Always fix yourself before you fix anyone else. You're more likely to resonate with toxic people when there are unaddressed toxic issues within yourself. Your mental health will always be more important than anything. If taking care of yourself means letting someone down, then let someone down. I think a lot of us live our overextended lives and we don't create margins. Let me tell you this. You don't need money to go on vacation. You need margins to go on vacation. Because a lot of people think I need a lot of money to go on vacation. No, you need margins. You need time. Because a vacation doesn't have to happen in Hawaii. A, va a vacation can happen in Holland. That's good preaching. I just made that up as I talked. Normalize saying no without needing to over-explain yourself. If someone is, is offended by your boundaries, that's their problem. And you got to hear this. Please get this one. The best weight you'll ever lose is the weight of other people's opinion of you. Don't describe to other people. Don't, don't subscribe to other people's definition of fun. Fun doesn't have to mean drinking, partying, or socializing. Fun can be a night in alone, getting lost in a book, a deep conversation, a walk, creating art, playing music, or doing your work. Fun is yours. You define it. And then finally, some of you, are, this may already be an issue, but we'll, we'll figure it out later on. Heal before having children. So your children don't have to heal from having you as a parent. You can say, amen, preach, brother. Like, that's a good word. I know you've not read scripture yet, but I received that for myself. Hey, stand with me. We're going to read some scripture. I am a little old school. I think standing and reading the Bible is kind of what we do. Um, please help me preach today. Please. I, I, I love it. I need it. It makes me preach better and, and shorter. So if you do that, you're going to reap benefit. Um, but again, Pastor Josh and Jess, thank you so much. I just have this short message here. Three points that I'm going to give you real quick. And I believe God wants to do something. I want you, if you have, they're going to put it on the screens, but if you have your Bibles, whether you have a paper one or, or you have a, a glowing one, um, just uh, turn it to the book of John and I'll tell you where to read in just a second. But John, John was close to Jesus, right? In fact, he, was, he referred to himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. And the way I look at this is Jesus came close. Jesus came to earth to be close to us. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, 
you know what was lost, right? The loss was communion that God had with man in the garden. That's what was lost. And so Jesus came back to get that, put that back together. That's why he came. Are people being lost still? Yes, but Jesus' ability to create the connection has never been lost. That is still there. It's our response to that is what he needs. He needs us to get close. He desires us to be close. He's given us the word of God and so many stories and examples why he wants us close. And I think a lot of us, it's our own insecurities, our own problems, our own issues that keeps us far. Am I right? It's my, I made a mistake. I, I, I stay far away. I mess up. I stay, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. So I stay far away. My kids are grown now, but I remember when they were in elementary school, whether it's around Christmas time or Mother's Day or Father's Day, they would make crafts in school, right? And they'd be as gifts to their parents for Christmas. And I remember getting some Christmas gifts or Father's Day's gifts and my son had made or my daughters had made and it was an ornament, right? And I'll tell you what, we put that on the tree. I'll just say this, don't tell them, it's not the best ornament on the tree. <laughs> in fact, words are misspelled. It's kind of crooked. It's not that great. You get like a, a snowman made of a, you know, toilet paper holder. It's, it's supposed to stand up on its own, but it's always falling over. It's not really great. But dads, as Christmas comes around and Father's Day's coming around, you love those gifts. Why? Not. It's because even though it's imperfect, they got to get close to give it to me. And as a father, all I've ever wanted is for my kids to be close. And as your heavenly father today, you've got an imperfect gift. You do. It's not great. It's kind of messed up. But he wants you to give it to him because it gets you close to where he is. As you see, John was close to Jesus, even in Jesus' last breath, because the Bible says in the book of John, the unique story of, of Jesus dying on the cross He's dying and he speaks to John from the cross, has a conversation with him. Jesus wasn't screaming from the cross. For John to hear what Jesus had to say, John had to be close. All the other disciples are running away, scared of what may happen to them, but John stayed close. Let me ask you this. Would you stay close to Jesus even when he's not feeding 5,000? Even when he's not walking on water, doing the miracles that you want him to do, will you still be close? Because that's when we get distant. Where are you at, God? My prayers are not being answered. And see, the problem with us is that when we're not close, we can't hear instructions for our next. Because Jesus told John, John, behold your mother. And he told his mother, mother, behold your son. John got clarity for what his next was going to be because he was close. A lot of us are flying blind through life. We don't have clarity because we're far. I'm telling you, when you get close to him, when you're close to Jesus, everything becomes clear what your next should be. So the Bible says this in John chapter 21, verse one. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the sea of Tiberias. Notice the word again. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were, were, were together. That's seven. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Everyone say nothing. But just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. They didn't know it was him. So Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. Everyone say no. no. He said to them, cast it on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Everyone say some. some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. You, do you guys read scripture the way I do? And you're just like blown away. I mean, I hope you do. He said to cast it on the right side of the boat and you will find, what's that word? So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in. Jesus' sum for your life is more than you can haul in. Yeah. Oh, you gotta get that. Yeah. Jesus' promises, that's why he said he's able to exceeding abundant above all that we ask or imagine. Jesus' sum for your life is more than you can pull in. Yeah. 
And so I say on this day, give me some worshipers. Give me some prayer warriors. Give me some workers. Give me some volunteers because we can do a whole lot with some. I'm not done yet. I know you're getting excited. That disciple, so they cast it down the right side of the boat and could not haul it in. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragged the net full of fish, for they're not far from land, about 100 yards off. Oh, there's the football. <laughs> when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of them disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to disciples after he was raised from the dead. I'm going to preach for the next 10 minutes on this thought, the value of of some, the value of some. Bow your heads to me, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful church. I thank you for our great leadership here and what you've done and what you're doing. God, for those who are locked in here, those who may be watching online earlier today, I thank you, God, for that experience that Vertical Church is creating, not just for those who are believing today, but those who are seeking for understanding and trying to find the right path for their life. God, as believers, let us shine light on the path, not in their eyes so they can see you, God. God, I pray for our time together. I pray that when we leave this place, we'll say truly the presence of the Lord was here. And we ask you, God, today that our Detroit Lions would beat the San Francisco 49ers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, clap your hands. High five someone as you're seated. I have a, a 12-year-old son. He's going to be 13 in a few weeks. And, uh, and we have twin daughters who are 17. And uh, Pastor Josh was telling me about a family this morning. They have twins, and then they had quadruplets. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> I, I literally said, what did they do wrong? No, I didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had twins were our first, um, which twins, anyone, like, I always, I'm like, I, I was on always, Dad. I was on always, always. There was no time off. There was no back and forth. I was on always. I told, and then we had our son, uh, five years later and man he was easy compared to compared to the twins and uh we were just they're like do you how was the first six months with them i said i don't know i was just trying to keep them alive and uh my son is great my son i think he's already in heaven right he's that sweet kid loves michigan football knows everything knows probably just as much as pastor josh like man you need to do something else you don't know too much and um but telling our son, like when you go to elementary school, right, you get him ready as a kindergarten, going to elementary school, getting him excited about it going. You know, he's going to kindergarten, like, son, you're going to get to go to recess, play outside. And we just moved to the community and, and then you got lunch. He got really into lunch. He's like, oh, lunch? The kid loves to eat, right? Yeah, you're going to have lunch, son. It's going to be great. And yeah, a little side note here, he would go to school, like a few days into school, he went to school and he'd take his lunchbox. My son's name's Silas. He'd take his lunchbox. He'd go to school. He'd come home and I'm like, son, where's your lunchbox? Well, I don't know. I was at school. I'm like, here's the thing. When you take something, you bring it back with you. You take a backpack, it comes home. Take a lunchbox, it comes home. Like, I'm that dad. My, my wife is like, and I said, you don't get lunch tomorrow. No lunch. No lunch for you, bro. <laughs> my wife's like, no, he can have lunch. He gets, you know, one of those brown sacks and writes his name on it, puts a little note in it. I'm like, what are you doing? No. So he goes to school the next day, brings back his lunchbox. No. I said, Silas, that says Spencer, not Silas. <laughs> it was an S, Dad. I was, just, I was just going with it. I'm like, you're definitely not getting to lunch tomorrow. I said, no, he's got to take that back. We'll give him another one. I'm like, my mom, if I forgot my lunchbox, she wouldn't make me go to school with Tupperware. Anyone ever go to school with Tupperware? We didn't have Tupperware, though. No, it was Cool Whip containers. That's what I grew up on. And it never had Cool Whip in it. No. Uh-uh. You go to the fridge, think you can get Cool Whip, always spaghetti. Always spaghetti. My son, first day at kindergarten. Oh, son, it's going to be great. You got recess. It's going to be awesome, son. You're going to have lunch. You're excited about that. You're going to learn to read going to school. Son, it's going to be amazing. We drop them off. We're crying. 
cry all day, go pick him up, we're crying because it's our baby, it's our son going off to school. He's so excited, he comes out of school and car door, the truck door's open and he runs out and he jumps in the front seat of the truck, slams the door and says, well, still can't read. <laughs> you see, I think a lot of us are like my son though. We think on the first day that we're gonna have it all figured out. That we're gonna, we're gonna have everything together. And Pastor Josh, I still sin. Yeah, you do, because we're human. Pastor Josh, I still make mistakes. Yeah, you do, because you're human. You see, the enemy wants us to stay far from God because we don't have it all together and we don't have it figured out. And he'll use our own human finite brains to keep us away from an infinite God. You don't have to have it all figured out. But you do have to stay close. You do have to stay close to the experiences of God and the things of God. And so what you have here in this story, I'm going to preach it in 10 minutes. My message is really like two, but Pastor Josh told me to talk about football. (laughs) But you have these fishermen who are disciples of God. The Bible says that Simon Peter says, hey, I'm going fishing. And Thomas was like, I'm going too. Sons of Zebedee go too. And two other guys go. One of the pecking order of that is, like Simon gets his name in there, Thomas gets his name, then there's just like two other dudes. Like, we don't even know who they are. But they go out fishing. Jesus had already revealed himself twice. Remember we read that? The resurrected Savior twice. And they go fishing. They went back to doing what he had called them out of. They had witnessed miracles. They had seen all these great things happen. And they had witnessed the greatest miracle that Jesus Christ would raise from the dead but they go back fishing. I would think that would cause me to want to go do what he had trained me to do the three and a half years and go make disciples, go spread the gospel, but they went back fishing. Let me just say this to you. If he's called you to the top floor of extraordinary, don't settle for the basement of mediocrity. Don't go back to what he called you out of. Don't go back to that place. Don't go back to that lifestyle. Don't go back. So they went back. They went back fishing and the Bible says that they fished all night and they have caught nothing all night. They have caught nothing. Then the voice from the shore asked them, they don't know it's Jesus. Children, do you have any meat? And their response is the most important response I want you to get is that their response was no. Now these are experienced fishermen, right? They're fishing in the sea that they've been, been fishing in most of their lives. They've got, they know what they're doing. But the response is, no, we don't have anything. And I think a lot of us need to understand that that should be our response. Because all of us live this life and think, I've got, I've got my marriage all together, God, I'm good. I've got this. I've got this parenting thing down, God, I'm good. When really, I, I'm nothing I am not a good husband without Jesus. I am not a good father without Jesus and his voice into my life. I am not a good leader without him. And so what I say when he's far is I've got nothing without you. You see, we live in a life that I've got it all together. I've got my finances all together. I've got my business all together. But if you would add Jesus to the equation and say, I've got nothing unless you're a part of this. I've got nothing, God. And Jesus says, then cast your net on the right side of the ship and you will find some. And so what we learn from this story, we learn three points. Is that when they cast the net on the right side of the ship, they brought in a multitude of fish, 153 of them. We find out at the end, cast your net on the right side of the ship. Number one is what you long for is nearer than you think. Don't give up. Number two is don't be afraid to change your methods. And number three, Jesus can manage things for us better than we can ourselves. Let's listen to his voice because the directions of our lives are mostly uh, determined by the voices we respond to. Tweet that. And so he says, hey, cast it down on the right side of the ship and you will find some that what you long for is nearer than you think. And I'll tell you today that what you long for is nearer than you think. What you desire most in this life, what God has promised you is closer than you think. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. 
Don't stop praying. Don't stop pushing. Don't stop coming to church. That child is coming in. That husband is coming in. That spouse is coming in. Don't give up. See, a lot of times we give up long just before the answer comes through. Just before the, it was about to happen. Think about it. Three years, 16, 17, 18, 19. I'm spending 20, 30, 40 hours at the University of Michigan just about every day. And I'm seeing God do great things through the lives of these men and they're being changed. But it's a financial strain on my family, 100%. We're not getting paid by the church and we're not really making a ton of money. It's like, it is getting hard, getting tough. And then COVID happens, right? I can't even be around them in 2020. I have to watch the season at home like all of you. And it wasn't a good one either. And I could have given up. And people wouldn't have blamed me. Yeah, maybe it's time. That you've seen some success. You've seen some of it happen. And it's hard. It's a labor of love. But I said, nah. I'm called to this. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Because everything I believe in, everything I know that God has for us is coming. And I'm not talking about championships. Oh, yes. I have six rings. Yes, I do. <laughs> Three Big Ten championships, Avon Breen South, I give them those. I got a Rose Bowl ring, CFP ring, and a national championship ring. There's six. That's pretty dope. <laughs> don't give up with what you long for is nearer than you think. Pastor Robbie, you just don't know. You just don't know what I've been through, what I've faced. I just, it's probably a lot easier for me to give up on the marriage than fighting for it. It's probably a lot easier for me to give up on this than, than fighting for it, than pushing for it. I've made too many mistakes, Pastor Rob. You just don't know. Let me just use this. I didn't really, I didn't grow up playing football. My dad did, but then he ended up playing for the Cleveland Indians farm team. So we were a baseball family. And my dad is teaching me how to play baseball when I was young, and he would take me out. And I understood the rules of baseball, but I just wasn't good enough yet to field it, to hit it. And so we'd go out to the local park, and he would have a, you know, one of those large bucket of balls, and he would say, now you go stand at home plate, and I'm left-handed, so he would, he would pitch him. He'd throw that ball in there, and I'd swing, and I'd miss. I'm strike one. Hey, all right, son, watch the ball. It's coming. I'd swing. Miss, it's strike two. All right, bud, here it is. I'm grabbing another ball. It's coming in. And I'd swing and I'd try so hard. And strike three. Amen. What are you doing, son? Dad, it's, it's three strikes. Three strikes, I'm out, Dad. I know the rules. Son, get back in the box. Grab the bat and get up there and keep swinging. He said, because it's never three strikes and you're out when you're playing with your father. Same for you. Yeah. I know you've messed up. I know I've called you to be a disciple making disciples and you're back out there fishing. But listen to me, I'm here telling you for the third time, come on, get close to me. It's the third time he's revealed himself to them. He came close in this earth to walk with them and train them. And he stuck around even after the resurrection because they weren't getting it. I need you guys to be about what I've called you to be about. And so they had to get close to him to realize that again. I just don't know if I can, Pastor Rob. I just don't know if I have the ability to get back up and keep going. I'm telling you, you do. Because what's inside of you gives you that ability. Your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, gives you that power to be able to get back up again. Yeah. You want me to prove it to you? I can't believe you give me a red ball. Do you know the science of this ball? The reason why this ball bounces is that the air pressure inside the ball is greater than the air pressure on the outside of the ball. 
Do you know why a Christian can get back up from a fallen state? Is because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's why Micah could say, rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. So I'm telling you on this Sunday afternoon that when you fall, you have the ability to get back up again and get moving again and keep fishing for some more because what you long for is nearer than you think. Number two, don't be afraid to change your methods. The Bible says that Jesus spoke one time, said, I got to go through Samaria. In that culture, they would never go through Samaria. They had to take the longer distance around Samaria to get to Jerusalem because the Jewish people were so prejudiced against the Samaritans because they were mixed blood and mixed religion. And Jesus held to that custom during that time. But on one day, he said, I've got to go through it. And so Jesus changed the methods that day because he went through there and he met a woman at the well. And he began to talk to the woman at the well. She got close to him. And she said, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. And she began to talk to her more. And she said, I, I, you're, you're teaching me some things. You're a teacher. I, you, you've had five husbands and the person you're with is not your husband. I, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Begin to talk to her some more. And she says, no. You're the Messiah. You're Jesus Christ. You see what happened is, is she sat down next to Jesus. She got close. And she began to talk to him. What'd she say? Oh, you're a Jew. He began to talk to her some more. No, you're a teacher. Begin to talk to him some more. No, no, you're, you're a prophet. Begin to talk to him some more. No, you're, you're, you're the Messiah. The more she talked with Jesus, the greater he became to her. You see, for some of you, he's just a Jewish man. For some of you, he may just be a teacher. Come on. When you get close to him and you begin to talk to him, he becomes so much more. He becomes everything that you need. Jesus changed the method, spoke to that woman. The woman went to town, began to tell everyone it's Jesus. Jesus went to the town. Jesus stayed few extra days in that town. They broke out in revival all because he changed the methods. Yeah. One of the hardest pitches to hit in baseball is called a what? Change up. Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest boxers of all time, was known for something called the rope-a-dope. Right? He would get on the ropes, put up his arms, and the opponent would begin to wail on him, burning all their energy while Muhammad Ali was just waiting for his moment. So when they were at their weakest, he now pounced on them. He changed the methods of that boxing match. You see, when you change things up, you might just actually get a different response. Like most of you, I pray with my son every night. And in praying with my son every night, we, we say the same prayer. It's just pray for grandma, grandpa, mom and dad, all, all sisters. Sometimes he doesn't want to pray for them, but we have to. <laughs> Same prayer. And all I do is just grab his hand, he lays his head on his pillow, closes his eyes. I'd been gone for several days, and we hadn't been able to do our prayer. I hadn't been able to be close to my son. And so I goes, hey, son, let's say our prayers. I kneel down beside his bed. I grab his hand like I always do. But that eight-year-old boy at the time, he wrapped his whole body. And as a dad, I just start crying. Do you think I prayed the same prayer that I pray every night with him that night? No. I prayed totally different because my son did something he had never done before. And so I prayed in a way that I had never prayed before. Do you remember in 2000, early 2000, there was the DC sniper? Remember that? Literally killing people with randomness, far distance. No one knew where it was coming from. And so people walking in the streets, literally they said, when you walk in the streets, here's what we need you to do. We need you to walk in a zigzag pattern. Don't walk in a straight line because even though it's a high powered rifle, they still have to anticipate your next step. So I need you to walk in a zigzag pattern because if you do something that you don't normally do, 
and you change your methods, their words, not mine, the enemy will not be able to lock in on you and take you out. If we get some men who've never gone to their knees, who go to their knees, the enemy's like, what are they doing? I've never seen them worship like that. I've never seen them pray like that. I've never seen them go in like that. Stand with me. And then finally, he can manage things for us better than we can ourselves. As soon as they knew it was Jesus, what did they do? They got to the shore. And you have to get this. This is the sermon. Pastor Josh, I did have a five-minute sermon. And it's right here. When they got to the shore, what did they see? They saw Jesus. And there was a fire. And there was fish there. Not the fish they had caught. Jesus how already had everything they were looking for in the night. I'm telling you, everything that you're looking for in the night, away from him, he says, I already have. He says, I've already caught it, I've already cleaned it, and I've already cooked it. What you're looking for, Jesus says, I already have. So stop looking for the answer outside of him. Get close to him because he has everything you're looking for. But here it is. Robbie, I need you to come to Michigan and start a church. I know that's your passion. I know that's what you want to do. Yeah, God, I'm going to follow the calling. We're going to do that. He says, yeah, we get there and there's the fish. There it is. We got to where Jesus was, got close and there's fish. What else was there? The Bible says that Jesus had a fire with fish and bread. I don't care how long you fish in that sea. You're never going to pull bread out of it. The answer is Jesus has something close to him that you're not even looking for. Jesus said, hey, Robbie, I've got a university football program that needs you. But I'm going to need you to get here to start a church. And when you do that, here's the bread. And I'm telling you, on the other side of your willingness to not give up, to change your methods, and listen to the voice from the shore, Jesus has everything you need. And more. And more. Bow your heads with me. God, I thank you for this great church. I thank you, Lord, for the revival that we're in. It's a mindset, God, not a man. And God, what you're going to do next to this great church, wow, I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to be a part of it. God, I pray our passion to be close to you would invigorate us, would be stronger than it has ever been. And that, God, you would use every person in this church to see that the value of some is far greater than we can even ask. When we get close to you, you have everything we've been searching for through the night and more. God, I pray for this church to receive the bread that you've prepared for them. In Jesus' name.